This is That Marketing Podcast. Made by marketers for marketers. Welcome to another edition of That Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Spotlight UK. In today's episode of the podcast, we're talking about remote content collaboration with Xenia Muntian, the CEO and co-founder of the content review platform Planable. We talk about how remote working has impacted not just the kind of creativity we're seeing from business content, but also what impact it's had on the approvals process. We also talk about longer term topics such as how you balance a robust approvals process with the need to act quickly on industry breaking news and whether content collaboration is an area where organizations should be investing in training. I hope you enjoy listening to our discussion and as ever, happy marketing. So Xenia, thank you very much for being on the podcast with us today. Yeah, thanks so much, Richard, for having me on the show. Uh, so topic today, we're talking all about um, remote collaboration on content. Yes. I think it's fair to say that um, given the time we're recording this in uh, end of September 2020, remote collaboration as a result of coronavirus is very, um, very much still here to stay. So it's worth diving into all sorts of mm. things and having a look at having a look at it. Um, yeah. Also, do you think what from what we've seen so far? Do you think this massive shift in circumstances has has driven a wave of creativity around content, or have most teams kind of gone into, I suppose you might call it a bunker mentality? Right, let's let's trot out the things that we know work, and we'll wait and see how this plans out. Yeah, that's a good question. I I, I think you know. Anxiety doesn't really help with creativity, <laughs> so that is something to always keep in mind. Uh, you know, considering the past uh, few months and just the past year that we've been gone through, um, anxiety doesn't help with creativity. But at the same time, I'm not sure if I if I'm just being very optimistic and looking at humanity with my pink glasses. But um, I did see, you know, kind of like an increase in creativity, both on the business side, but like on on the personal side, entertainment and so on um, during COVID, you know, beginning with March and so on. And I think, you know, on one side, uh, you know, coronavirus has posed great challenges and, you know, we humans are kind of very good, well known for rising to challenges in situations like this one. Uh, So I've seen a lot of innovation and a lot of businesses being born out of this. At the same time, on the other hand of this, um, you know, boredom does bring out the best in us <laughs> uh, in terms of content and in terms of entertainment. Uh, the mind just, you know, wanders when you have more time on your hands, when you can't travel, when you, you know, sit quite a lot at home. So we've seen, you know, a bunch of things people have been doing online to entertain others and a lot of content, a lot of like ingenious ways of um, of just, you know, making fun and having fun um, and at the same time you know there's a, another side of things you know a lot of creative professionals that have been um, you know um, laid off also also were being you know stuck at home um, you know didn't have a way to uh, use their creativity so we've seen a lot of you know a lot of them kind of uh, creating entertainment uh, creating content to have some kind of outlet uh, for their creativity so i think yes in a way we have seen kind of this explosion in in creativity that was extremely unexpected for 
you know, humanity going through the extreme levels of anxiety during this uh, period of time, anxiety and uncertainty, we did see, you know, quite a, an unprecedented level of people sharing their creations with the world in, you know, very new and even sometimes very collaborative ways. So I'd say we didn't luckily go too much into bunker mentality and, um, you know, luckily we've, we've, you know, really taken advantage of that period of time and, um, you know, made something beautiful out of it. Great. Um, I suppose a part of this, especially as businesses have started to realize that this wasn't wasn't a blip and it does seem to have quite a long tail. There <laughs> yeah. is, as well as this um, sort of boundless creativity that humans are, are lucky to have, there does, especially in sort of business content, need to be sort of systems of approval. There are, sort of, whether brands actively embrace it or not, they do have a tone of voice that they need to sort of manage. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that, do you think that the, the kind of systems for or the, the systems of approval that are in place, do you think they've, have they tightened? Have people been paranoid about the side they're showing or have they been fairly relaxed? Think this is this is so unprecedented, we can afford to, to do something we maybe wouldn't have risked doing in quote unquote normal times. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, at Planable, we're working with thousands of teams um, that, you know, are just building content inside our platform. And I haven't really seen, you know, people tightening their approval processes, though that was something to kind of be expected, but we haven't really seen it and we haven't really heard it from our own clients. I think approval systems have definitely changed, but not in the direction of lose, you know, loosening it or tightening them up. I feel like they have changed in becoming more clear as a result of work from home. Um, I've seen, you know, teams getting better at asking for feedback, for feedback, um, giving like more structured feedback, um, you know, making just the approval process more straightforward and clear. Since I think now it's more important than ever to understand what you need to do, what's next, what kind of, what's expected from you, what kind of feedback you need to give. And it's also, you know, more important than ever to have clarity if something is a go or not. Um, and just the entire, you know, the lack of time and the need of going to market with content or with, with products and services faster uh, has made, you know, the approval process less complicated and, and more straightforward and more clear. You need to know if something is okay to be published or not uh, more than it, it, you know, you ever, you ever could. Like there is no time right now to ask for, you know, follow up questions and to clarify if something is okay or not. You just need clarity in the way teams work. And I hope this is actually something that will stay with us after COVID. And I hope this was kind of like a lesson about how approvals, um, you can have approvals in place, but not make it overly complicated. So it's obviously speed is always a facet, but particularly when it comes to uh, industry breaking news, um, an example I might pick up on is, um, especially for our target audience, the fact that the uh, European Court of Justice decided the EU-US privacy shield for data no longer applied. That was um, quite a big shift and we've been providers and users both have had to sort of scramble to cover themselves over that. In that kind of circumstance when it's breaking news, how do you effectively balance the the need for, for approval and a brand voice with the need to, to react quickly to show your clients that you are you're on top of this industry news that if you leave it too long, then it you sound sort of like you're a laggard behind it and you're not really on top of the industry in a way that in a way that your clients need you to be. 
Yeah, I think it's a matter of prioritizing things. And I, I think the responsibility on uh, the time to launch shouldn't fall just on the creators, but it should fall on approvers as well. So everyone needs to be aligned. This, this, needs, this is something that needs to be published fast. Um, and it doesn't fall, you know, into the normal approval policies and the normal approval procedures. Um, so it's not just something that, you know, the creator needs to move fast to market to produce the content, but it's also something that, you know, approvers need to prioritize that and, you know, give the uh, okay, the good to go, the green light faster than usual. Um, so there needs to be some kind of like carte blanche for content in this type of situations where you make you know, exceptions for particularly important, urgent, or time-relevant matters. Um, not all content should be treated equally in terms of approvals, if that makes sense. Sure. I mean, I think the word we've heard most often in the last six months, certainly, is, is unprecedented. Do you think it's possible to have a system where saying you need this approval process for this unless X, Y, and Z happens, in which case use your creative judgment? Can you... Yeah. Can you can you can you codify a process for opting out of the process if that makes sense? Yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. I think you know you can label content that is urgent, or you know you can codify it in some kind of way. Like this is an exception. This is outside of our normal process, and this should be either prioritized and approved. You know, deadlines for approval, even right. Like as a content creator, you're you know you should give you should also be able to give deadlines to approvers even if they're your they're your managers or stakeholders or your clients um but you do need to give them some some kind of deadline uh, because this is a time relevant piece of content or whatever agreement like if you agree either to prioritize content in this way in the beginning of the relationship or you agree that some pieces of content are going to go, you know, live without approvals in urgent or extreme unprecedented situations. Um, but, you know, in your own system of, uh, of content management, you should find a way to make that happen, either by labeling content, you know, this is uh, out, you know, this is a exceptional content that doesn't fall into our normal procedures or by just commenting on that content internally and letting people know that you need this to happen uh, you know, urgently. Uh, but, you know, you, you've got to figure this out and agree on that beforehand. Um, and then, you know, whenever that situation comes up, uh, you're going to have, you know, a, a way of working around that and a, a way of figuring out to how to make it because you've already discussed that in the past, in the beginning. Okay. If we take, if we zoom in a little bit, if you like, on specific pieces of content, one of the one of the processes that or one of the issues that we sometimes find in our in our own internal spot the team when we're creating content is um sort of managing tone of voice differences rather than correction differences as in I, I might write a blog and our manager might come back to me and say oh i wouldn't phrase it like that but that's because of um that's because of our writing styles rather than um different either either or both versions not meeting the the sort of brand tone of voice right how do you separate corrections from from tone changes in that way and make sure everyone is only correcting things that are wrong as opposed to what what they might write yeah this again is about agreements in the beginning of relationships and agreements whenever a team is being built 
or when a client agency relationship has started, it's all about having those conversations in advance. And this particular one is based on having a brand guideline in place. Because if there's a brand guideline in place, you know, you can refer to that brand in terms of what words are being used, you know, the style of writing and so on. And it, it should be as detailed as possible. I think our own brand, um, you know, brand communication guidelines at Planable have more than 30 pages. So really extremely de detailed ways of uh, clarifying how the brand should talk. And once you have that type of document, it should be pretty straightforward. So feedback should only, you know, uh, evolve around uh, brand guidelines and not, not about personal preferences. Um, so I think having something like that in place that is, um, you know, generally for the brand, but also particularly for the social media presence, like hashtags and emojis and, you know, how, how many emojis you use, what type of hashtags you use on what platforms and so on. Having those type of communication and, you know, tone of voice guidelines around both the brand generally, but also more specifically around the social media presence is extremely important to avoid feedback that is, you know, centered around personal preferences. Okay, so to follow up on following all that a little bit more. If we look at the, the responses that certainly some that businesses of all sizes have been have given to to return to the office and maintaining remote working it's it's clearly not going to go go back in the box and disappear entirely do you think in these circumstances that training about how to manage remote collaboration is is useful or necessary for businesses and and if it is where should we be starting yeah that's a good one uh, i think I think it is. I think it's extremely important to have some kind of maybe not necessarily, a, you know, a day long training, but conversations around managing remote collaboration internally um, for teams. It, it, it's super important. And the only way you can start those type of conversations or those type of workshops or trainings is by just looking at your team and asking them what kind of challenges do they have. I particularly making either a survey or just hopping on a call with, if you're a smaller team, hopping with the call with every you know, team member and kind of auditing what works and what doesn't for each particular individual, coming up with a list of problems and then figuring out what kind of solutions you have and what kind of training people you know, need. Is it the tech stack that they are struggling the most with? Don't, like, do they have challenges around what tools to use for particular jobs to be done? Uh, is it about communication? Is it about setting breaks? Is it about uh, commitment and meetings, organizing those meetings? What kind of challenges people have in the business? Figuring out that list of, of issues and developing content around that. Um, you know, kind of like a help center, uh, but internal for your own company, uh, for employees to figure out how to better do their best work. Okay. Um, so if people are starting to do that, starting the, if people are starting out on that journey, I mean, we, we talked about setting up guidelines when the team starts, but I'm choosing to assume that most people listening to this will have a team already in place. So it's a case of starting not from, not from a standing start, but yeah. adapting, adapting as they go. Is there is there one resource you'd point people towards for for getting started on that journey? I mean, other than to, to start thinking about exactly what the challenges are that are there for them. So you've laid out a load of different ways they can 
start to explore those chances but how do they get started what's your sort of first reference point um obviously i i will be very subjective here subjective here but i do have uh, we do have a planable and academy around this exact subject so we've, we've interviewed about 12 experts uh, a year ago around uh, collaboration and workflow uh, on content specifically so we have an academy on how to manage um, content workflow how to collaborate on content how to organize yourself project management and so on so if you want to check it out, that's a great resource. Uh, it's not just built by us at Planable, but it's built in collaboration with uh, a bunch of experts in the industry. And if you want to check it out, the, the website is planable.io slash academy. So it's a video academy, uh, about eight episodes um, around collaboration and how to structure your workflow for content. So obviously your platform and, and ours to an extent as well is built around the idea of being able to to work from anywhere so it's an area that you've given a huge amount of thought to but i just wondered what's the most unexpected benefit you've seen from uh, remote collaboration and conversely what's the most unexpected problem that came up from from a different source than you thought maybe mm, yeah i think the most unexpected benefit that i've i've seen firsthand but i've also heard it from our own clients um the most unexpected benefit was uh, the engagement levels. Um, you know, a meeting is a huge commitment. Um, whilst you know, having people engaging on and giving feedback on, around content or engaging around someone's work in a virtual environment where they don't have to attend a meeting, uh, that's easier for people. Um, so whilst you know, before COVID and before work from home. People might not have attended meetings now if they can spend virtually about five minutes to give their valuable input on something, um, you know, that is happening. So the engagement levels have definitely risen in some situations. And I think that's, that's great because, you know, with uh, physical meetings, you wouldn't have gotten that particular feedback from, from that person. Um, if they, you know, if there would have been a meeting specifically just for that, whilst with uh, virtual collaboration uh, options, uh, they might actually engage and, and leave feedback and uh, actually help out. So I think uh, that's a big unexpected benefit that I've seen. Um, and on the problem side, I think the most unexpected one, or at least for me, the most unexpected one was um, just, you know, the, the screen fatigue. Uh, it's kind of an obvious one, but I did not expect it to be as painful as it was. Uh, all the Zoom calls and just, you know, sitting in front of the screen all the time, that was something that really took a toll. And I heard that in the industry as well, um, just, you know, but it also came with an unexpected benefit, um, which was the solution to the screen fatigue problem, taking more breaks and making them, you know, actually scheduling breaks in your calendar. Uh, that was really nice. And that was something that I haven't been doing it in the past. Uh, before you know March, but since then you know um, I'm, I'm doing it you know regularly, and I think that's a very healthy way of working. So yeah, I would see I would say that you know more engagement on the benefit side and screen fatigue on the problem side. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, and I know exactly what you mean with screen fatigue. It has been. It seems like it's more acute when you're working from distance, and everything is um, fading away. Is, yeah, the, 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 as even a meeting can be. You're not staring straight at the screen by yourself so i yeah I, I understand exactly what you mean 
<laughs> yeah. We touched on this a little bit with um, talking about getting content out at a, a fast enough rate to make it valuable. But as part of an ongoing process of um, collaborating on a piece of content, how far can a piece of content effectively be be tweaked and sort of re reshuffled before it, it's lost too much from the original? It's better to rip it up and start again. Yeah, there's no there's no straight answer to this one. I think not too far away, to be honest. I feel like if you're going to more than three rounds of feedback um, and more than three rounds of iterations on that particular content, depending on how many uh, suggestions are on that particular piece of content and how many, you know, how much feedback and how many changes are happening, if you know, and and the last round there's just a couple of words that need to be changed changed or just a particular aspects of that content that might work um but yes sometimes there you know there's a piece of truth in your in your uh, question that yes sometimes it kind of just makes sense to uh, stop everything look at that content and ask yourself if it can you know really be improved or it can really be taken into that direction that you're imagining or if it just makes sense to start fresh. And sometimes uh, starting fresh might actually save you time rather than um, trying to make it work. And I'm not saying that you know that content is bad, but maybe it just doesn't work for the goal that you're trying to achieve or for your brand, uh, or it's just not appropriate for what you wanna do and your plans and, and your you know results that you wanna achieve. So it kind of makes sense to just ask yourself if this is something that can be. And the the, the earlier you can ask yourself and give yourself this answer, uh, the more time you save on, on those iterations and on those unnecessary feedback rounds. Okay, I think that's a really good point to leave it. Get your collaboration set up, have some structure to it, but, but don't overdo it because you can end up killing your piece of content. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's correct. <laughs> Okay, we'll leave it there. Zenia, thank you once again. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks a lot, Richard, for having me. I had a had a, a great time talking to you. Me too. Bye for now. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of that marketing podcast. You clearly have wonderful taste. We hope you found the content useful and and enjoyed it. We'd love you to subscribe wherever it is you're listening to us maybe leave us a review if you can think of a topic that you you'd like us to cover or even if you fancy coming on the podcast and sharing your own experience on a particular topic that uh, you can reach us at marketing team at spotler.co.uk thanks once again and happy marketing <laughs>